Hello, my name is Sam Clements and welcome to the March edition of The Love of Cinema, a Picturehouse podcast proudly supported by Kia, powering independent cinema. On our March edition of the show, we'll be covering uh, just a handful of new releases coming to your local picture house, coming to the big screen near you. We simply don't have the time to talk about every single new release. So what we do is we pick a, we pick a few, we pick a few key titles that are spread throughout the month. On every show, we invite two new voices, two new guest film critics uh, to cover our new releases and, and get different opinions, different perspectives on the films. Our critics for the March edition of the show are returning guest host Helen O'Hara. Helen is one of the co-hosts of the Empire podcast and a film uh, writer and film critic. And actually, if you have a copy of Picture House Recommends, our in-house magazine in front of you right now, there's a very good chance that Helen has written one of the pieces in that we're also joined by a brand new voice on the podcast this month, Savina Petkoff, a film critic you may have read in magazines such as Little White Lies, websites such as The Playlist, uh, and we're about to hear her opinions on our films with Helen. Our first film of the pod, it's Lucas Don't's Close. Uh, Close premiered at the Cannes Film Festival back in 2022 and is in cinemas right now. So without further ado, here's what Helen and Savina thought of close. Est-ce que je peux poser une question Est-ce que vous êtes ensemble Mais pourquoi tu dis ça Parce que ça me tente trop. Enfin, je sais pas. Bah, on s'est rapprochés parce qu'on est sûr. Sûr et certain. So, Helen, shall we talk about close I think this is going to be a quite difficult film to start with, actually. I'm just so moving. Yeah. It's so emotional and it's such a, it's one of those ones where you don't want to say too much, I feel like, in recommending it to people. You don't want to, you don't want to get too much into the story, but it is very emotional. I mean, what we can say, obviously, is that it's about two boys, about 13, going to a new school, they're best buddies, they're super duper close. And then they essentially, that friendship just starts to break. That friendship, that friendship is broken and it is so upsetting it's something every single person i think can relate to everybody's been through a version of that even if not for the same reasons in the same context you know with the same kind of characters but everybody knows that pain of losing a friend and and it is just exquisitely closely observed here and it is it feels so real and so overwhelmingly tragic i mean you know from minute one almost no the scope is just immense it's like thinking about Greek tragedy uh, amplified by 15 because it's children and they preserve some sort of purity that we all can look back to in our lives and relate to that, as you said. And yet the film feels so mature and so grown up. It's a second feature and it feels quite masterful already. I don't know where you stood in, in Girl, Lucas Don's first film, but I was very impressed by the levity with which it moves through different topics. And I think he's worked wonderfully with these actors, with these very young first-time actors here to conjure a world that we can all live in, although in pain. <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, the performances of those kids are just incredible. So that's, um, I mean, I may be pronouncing them very, very badly, but Eden Dombrin and uh, Gustave Dewal, Dewal? I guess, yes, that's should be Apologies correct. if I've got those <laughs> wrong. <laughs> to get performances like that out of 
out of young young kids, I mean, you know, 13-year-old boys, and to find the little moments that show this friendship and to, you know, to, to make you entirely believe in it, first of all, to make you absolutely invest in this relationship, in this closeness, as the film's title says, between the two, and then to see all the, all the cracks develop, to see all the pressure applied. I mean, you know, it is essentially there, you know, people in school start asking if they're a couple. And it's not obvious immediate homophobia. This is a modern day film. It's not burn the gays. It's kind of a kind of a message. It's just kids essentially saying, are you a couple? Oh, you must be gay. Just that suspicion, just that colour entering the friendship and just that fear entering the friendship and just poisoning things. And for them to be able to express that as well as they do, usually without words. I mean, you know, entire stretches of this film are based entirely around the glances, right? It's it's extraordinary filmmaking. Absolutely. And on top of this gorgeous, gorgeous acting, the weight that lingers on every moment that we see them together in the frame, right? We just get so used to being with them together in a frame and witnessing their games or their banter even. So it feels even more challenging to see them apart. And the film does pull them apart. So we also miss the other when we see the one and vice versa. I thought that was just extraordinary cinematography and editing too. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's a beautiful looking film. The fact that, as isn't it, Leo's character, you know, his parents have a flower farm. And so you, you're literally in this, you know, talk about this kind of golden expression of childhood innocence. You know, they're literally running through fields of flowers. It, Tracking you know, shots I mean, abound is just oh. gorgeous. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's almost too on the nose, but it, but it absolutely immediately gets you into that headspace, gets you into this kind of golden perfect innocence this like edenic pre-fall kind of narrative yeah there's something about like being on the nose actually that i was thinking when i first saw it around the big hype the, the music the music is also gorgeous too it's classical music it's scores it's violins and it swells every time and this is obviously to the film's effects but i must admit at times i think it was a bit oversaturated for me but it doesn't take away from the beauty of the film, not at all. I think uh, everyone that I've spoken to about it, they've absolutely loved it, been, loved being destroyed by it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, this is not this is not a sort of a film that you can recommend to people lightly. You know, this is a film that is going to be emotional, that is going to, frankly, devastate you at times, and you have to kind of be prepared for that. But it's also a film that, like I say, you know, it's it's so relatable for all of us. It's so universal in its themes that I, I just thought, I think is extraordinary. So, I mean, you can see why Cannes went uh, went pretty nuts for it last year. Absolutely. Oh my God, we were all bawling our eyes out on the first <laughs> day. <laughs> just, I've seen it again, but just to confirm this, you can't get enough of tears, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Let's go somewhere new. See worlds we've never seen before so that we can feel inspired. Whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars, inspiration comes when we feel something new. That's why our electrified range is designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia, proud supporter of independent cinema. Kia, movement that inspires. Well, thank you, Helen and Savina, for your thoughts on Close. And I also called Close. I, I agree. It's a very powerful film. The two young performers in the movie are incredible. 
Uh, it looks fantastic. And Lucas Stone, this is only his second feature. He is someone who we need to keep an eye on. He's going to go on and do bigger and better things with each film. So, so yeah, get in on the ground floor uh, with Lucas Stone. And, uh, and, yeah, let's look forward to seeing what he does next. Speaking of next, our second film of the podcast is Night of the Twelfth, a brand new crime thriller uh, which opens on the 31st of March, directed by Dominic Mole. Also played at the Cannes Film Festival, like close, uh, let's go to Helen and Savina to see what they made of this. I mean, so speaking of emotional devastation, what did you think of The Night of the Twelfth? That was something that I was looking forward to watching for a long, long time. And I must admit, I like genre things. I like genre films, investigations, and the mystery of a murder is always something that gets us, you know, if you you like either murder mysteries or some sort of investigative stuff, (laughs) it's always there. But this one, I did not expect to go in such deep, deep, painful depths, I guess, as well. Violence against women, that's something that is, I don't know, I mean, I still struggle to watch it without taking a deep breath. And I wonder, was it similar for you? Was it a difficult watch for you too? Yeah, very much so, because it it, it opens with a horrific, horrific crime. Like, no matter how prepared you think you are for this, it, it's not super gratuitous, it's not super gory we're about to talk about something gorier but it is really a terrifyingly plausible you know based on loosely on true stories and so it really sticks with you it's a really sticky kind of upsetting way to open and then to unfold from that into this thing that's halfway between a procedural and a psychological drama you know it's it has the police procedural kind of steps and it has that kind of forward momentum but it tells you right up at the front of the film, this is an unsolved murder. So you're sitting there the whole time and you're like, aha, they have a lead. But you keep reminding yourself, no, <laughs> you know, and it's so it's that sense of kind of that that unresolved trauma almost. It, it really kind of sticks. And, and, and that's, of course, the point it's talking about, not so much about how do we solve this murder as what are the what are the costs of doing this work? What are the costs of trying to want to solve these murders, you know? And what does that do to you? Yeah, exactly. As you said, I feel like it was playing with these tropes that we're all used to in investigation, but to showcase something completely different, it was very, felt very fresh. I don't know if that's the right word for this kind of film though, but in the approach that it uncovered a lot about the detectives of the story more than it uncovered about the woman because the the woman that got murdered we're meant to we can't know her she's totally unknowable to us and however much we reconstruct her through through her friendships or relationships or sexual encounters which is what the film does most of its runtime she still slips away and i think that says something about about women of course and about the violence against women too, because lots of the reasons why this violence occurs is because of this woman's unknowability, right? There's something of a mystery that is both alluring and terrifying to every abuser, I guess. And it led me to spiral quite a lot out of that. And at first I wasn't sure if I was going to go on board with showing the attack, 
but in the course of the film, I think it was better to show it than to withhold it. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I think you need that shock at the beginning. I think you need that because you know this is a film that kind of unfolds slowly and and doesn't go to those satisfying places that we want it to go to. We have our sort of hero cop, you know, we have our witnesses and our terribly suspicious suspects and and so you need to balance that out. I think you need you need to have to understand the cops motivations to solve this. That you want to understand their horror at this crime and and be as motivated as they are to find out who did it and stop them from ever doing anything similar again. And the horrifying thing I guess in this case is you know that there are multiple suspects who could plausibly have done this that every time they think they've you know wrapped up the case in a neat little bow and they've they've come up with all everything they need it ha- it doesn't work out that way it isn't that simple it isn't that clear cut we're so used to all of these this genre as you say they're playing with the rules of the genre we're so used to that one little clue turning out to unravel the whole thing and somebody being able to come up with some great chain of deduction that you know completely reveals everything and that is not how life works and you know so it's it's kind of i think it's i think it's going to stay with me and i think it's staying with me because it is that unpalatable truth that we don't want to face it's something that i think films lie to us about quite a lot and this is probably more true which is terrifying yeah that's a really 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 good point and i think that's going to stick with me and i really want to know what you think about this quote all men killed carla and the discussion around, oh, most of the killers in the world that have been caught or investigated are men, but also most of the policemen that investigate these crimes are also men. And put it so straightforwardly by men, this is a conversation also had between men. I was thinking about the self-reflexivity of the film. Did you ever get a feeling that it was doing that? Yeah, I kind of, I maybe wanted it to do that more at times. You know, we we don't get to see a, a sort of a female policeman's view until quite late in the film. But I think that's the crux of the whole thing. I mean, even though it's, it's also made by men, you know, this is a film True. made by men. <laughs> but but it, it is a moment of self-reflection. It is a moment of acknowledgement, I think, of, of something that a lot of women, I certainly feel, is out there in the world. I don't spend all day dwelling on it. I don't, you know, I walk home at night. Hopefully the streets are brightly lit. Yeah, we can only hope, right? <laughs> right. But, you know, we, we are aware that we live in this world. And I feel like this film does a really good job of, of forcing, I hope, hopefully men as well as women to confront that world and to to think about what that means and, and to, you know, try and change it, hopefully, in a little way. Yeah, a very intelligent film. And not at all what I would expect from a French film from Cannes as well. I think it delivers more than I originally thought it would, even which is a good problem to have. I know, right? <laughs> well, there we go. Night of the Twelfth is a powerful film, a very gripping film, and one which lends itself to being seen on the big screen. Okay, finally, moving on to our last film of the podcast, our last new feature. Uh, this one is Pearl, uh, directed by Ty West, his follow-up to X, which came out last year. Uh, this one opens at Picture House Cinemas on the 17th of March. Caring for your family during these times is admirable. But you only get one take at this life. If only they would just die. 
Martin? So my favorite film of the month, <laughs> this is Pearl. And I really, really want to talk to you about what you liked about it. Was there anything you disliked? And what do you think of Pearl as a character after X? Well, you see, here's the thing. I ha- To my shame, I hadn't seen X going into this. Oh, good. Actually, this is much better. Yeah. That's much better. Okay, lovely. So what was your first impression of Pearl then? So I'm going, I mean, I'm going kind of chronologically now. You Because I've seen yeah. Pearl and then I'm going to see X and Maxine. But yeah, this is, I mean, th- I thought this was a hell of a thing to start off this I don't know, horror movie, slasher movie, whatever you, however you, you want to define it. But to start off like, a Hollywood musical of the 1930s. I, like it just, I didn't know what to expect going in, but it definitely wasn't that, you know, and no. and to go into this kind of beautiful technicolor world, she's she's doing everything but singing a choreographed song with the, the animals in the barn. It's this, it could be animated that the opening of this movie, it's so kind of magical, traditional, high Hollywood. And then to combine that with everything that happens afterwards, I just thought I just thought it was inspired. I, I I mean, I just loved how rooted it was in Hollywood history. I loved how completely batshit it was. In oh my some god, respect. it didn't hold back at all. I you love know, that. <laughs> just amazing, amazing, absolutely gorgeous film. It's so vibrant. It doesn't take too too long to notice its influences, and it wears them proudly on its sleeve, which is something that I really really appreciate when films do that and filmmakers do that stylistically uh, for people who have seen X they're going to be surprised it's going to be quite different but Tewes himself has been quite upfront that he wants to explore different kind of aesthetics fitting for the three films but in comparison to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of vibe of X this gorgeous Douglas Sirk and Wizard of Oz in which you pluck in Mia Goth, one of the most exciting actors working today. It was such a pleasure to watch her. And I think for me personally, Pro worked so much better on so many more levels because of Mia Goth's central performance that she had the space to shine. And also her writing input in the script. I think that's that's what made her her character so diverse and so full of complications and intensities and all the sexualized undercurrent both sexualized and sexual because she was also seeking sex the the scene early on with the scarecrow oh my god oh god it's <laughs> i mean there's there's so many times in this film where you're like i am really uncomfortable with what she's doing but you're trying to make allowances for her. You know, she's a young girl. She hasn't been grown up in our hyper-aware kind of world. She's figuring things out in 1918. You know, she. this is, maybe this was normal back then. You're, I, I was literally trying to rationalize it to myself that way. I was literally like, I guess maybe, but it's so, some of her behavior in just so many small ways and big is so discomforting. But all through, I was like, well, maybe she'll, there are moments that she makes you believe that she might still kind of turn aside and she might go about her days peacefully and she might pull herself back on track and she might, you know, and then she doesn't. I mean, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say she goes spectacularly off the rails at several points <laughs> yeah. in this film. But I kept believing, she made me keep believing that it was a possibility that it wasn't going to go that way, that 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 she really might do something more more con- conventional or more sensible. And I, I don't, maybe that's, maybe that says something about my naive wish to believe the best in people, but but she, I thought she was astonishing in this. I thought she was absolutely incredible. You know, I think 
there's a lot of reason in the film to make the case and to make the case for good writing, that the, the writing itself allowed this kind of nuanced character because we get a, enough glimpses of her own psychology, her upbringing, her isolation, her repressive parents, her husband who is not there because he's at war, the disappointments that she's had in her life, that she really, really wants to be a star. She's seduced by the movies, which I found amazing in this small town cinema where they show like early dancer films and pornography all these very vital moments of entertainment just clashing and, and colliding in her and her character i thought that was great that made her believable but also excessive and the style of the film is so excessive that you just can't help but dwell in it and, and delightfully so you know, yeah. just, i would love to watch it five times again and again for some reason. <laughs> yeah, and because the gory things are also fitting, I, I think, fittingly left for further on. We have mm -hmm. a lot of time spent with her before we get to the other stuff. You're so right. We see so much of her point of view, her dreams, her wishes. We really learn to identify with all of them and, and we're, we're really invested in her dreams by the time we get to a point where when those dreams are frustrated, we're frustrated too. And we're almost, almost with her when she starts going a bit to the bad. So yeah, it's it's a really cleverly paced film. It, it's not one that rushes through. It's not one that kind of overwhelms us, but it does such a good job when it gets there in the end. And it is really gory and really grotesque and really memorable. I mean, just, just combining all those technical and magical moments with this kind of bloody outcome, I thought was really something. I hadn't seen this before. No, she was this, this perfect kind of final girl that um, just goes all in. And I will close on this, please, 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 gods of the American Academy, give me a goth the Oscar already. I think <laughs> this is warranted. <laughs> Maybe for Maxine. Let's let's keep fingers crossed. I really somehow. hope so. I really hope so. Long overdue. Well, thank you, Savina and Helen, for your thoughts on Pearl. I haven't seen Pearl yet, and that got me so excited uh, to go and check this one out. I will be there on the 17th of March, cash in hand, waiting to watch this one. I really enjoyed X, but I, I hear Pearl is better than X. So yeah, I'm, I'm up for it. I'm a big Ty West fan. Uh, House of the Devil, if uh, if you're listening and you're looking for a recommendation for an under 90-minute horror, then uh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one to check out. But yeah, March is a is a stacked month. There's lots and lots of great films out. Things that we didn't cover, but we are doing episodes on later this month in the feed. We've got a few bonus interview episodes. Uh, we've got Rye Lane, which I am very, very excited for. We're speaking to the director of that one. And we've also got lots of interviews uh, with the uh, filmmakers behind the new film, Alleluia. Uh, so do check out the feed for that. Right, back to our scheduled programming. Whilst we had Helen and Savina uh, in the pod booth, we always like to ask our guest critics what's currently on in cinemas that they'd recommend people seek out and what they're most looking forward to opening at cinemas later this year. Okay, so what else are you enjoying in cinemas at the moment? I've been thinking a lot about the donkey movie <laughs> what i mean by this is eo by jerzy skolimowski the polish auteur who i believed was 
way too old to make this film. But then I saw it and I think it's absolutely gorgeous. It's really experimental. It does riff off a lot of Bresson, but it will give enough pleasure to people who haven't seen Oh Hazar Baltazar and will just feel for the gorgeous six donkeys that were used in the film shoot. So whoever hasn't got on this boat, I think they should they should really go in and spend some time with donkeys and get tissues, of course, because that's my like motif of film recommendations <laughs> today. <laughs> it's a good year for donkeys, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a good year and a bad year at the same time, but at least they're True. getting the spotlight and they're taking being taken care of. What would be your recommendation? for someone who is still deciding what to see in the cinemas. Well, my one is a one I think you also like, but that's Women Talking, the Sarah Polly film, which I just think is, by some distance, I think the best kind of, if you like, Me Too movie of recent years. I thought it was an extraordinary film, but it's about, you know, it's it's this closed community of women basically deciding their own fate for the first time in their lives. And, and I just thought all the performances were incredible, the, the kind of the sense simultaneously of of a, a big world outside and this this very closed small space where most of the action happens I thought was was amazing and and I thought the script was great I think Sarah Polly's just such an extraordinary filmmaker I'm really glad this film exists honestly I'm so happy that you're recommending it because it really really deserves much more love than it's getting now yeah Oscars wink wink. <laughs> And how about you? What about what about things coming up? What, what's got you excited? For some reason, this might sound a bit controversial because I've never been excited for a live action <laughs> animated film inspired by live action. I'm talking about The Little Mermaid, the faded Little Mermaid that people have been dreading for so long. <laughs> but I do have a horse in this race. I have to come clean. I've been researching mermaids in film for a while now, and I really want to see how this one pans out. But that's still two months to go for it. So end of May, we'll all see, we'll dive under the sea and sing the songs with Ariel again, for better or worse, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I love those songs. That That is my Disney movie of my childhood. So fingers crossed they can live up to, to that one. What about you? What are you looking forward to soon? I'm really looking forward to Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. I don't know. You're you're younger than me, I think. So I don't know if you grew up on Judy Bloom books when you were when you were small, but I definitely did. And this was one of the key texts about growing up. And I didn't understand everything in it because it's very much based in kind of American slang and things that American kids were concerned about in the I think it was 70s when she was writing it. But it was still just something that everybody read and everybody talked about when I was little. And and it's very funny and it's very it's very well observed. And it's a beautiful story about a girl growing up, which I don't think we we see enough of in cinema. So to see again a proper adaptation and with, you know, Kathy Bates and Rachel McAdams and Benny Safty in it, this is exciting. I'm really, I'm really hoping for great things. And Kelly Fremont Craig as well directing, you know. I don't know if there's anybody better in telling teen girls stories i'm really hoping it lives up to the book it's fantastic dream team dream team <laughs> it is a bit isn't it so helen can you let us know where we can find you and follow your work i'm on twitter at helen l o'hara and i'm on the empire podcast uh, pretty much every week and i also have a book out uh, women versus hollywood the fall and rise of women in film is in you know certainly all good bookstores i like to think in paperback right now
How about you? Where can people find your work, Sabina? Oh, I wish I also had a book, but that's in the making. That's in the making. Give it time. Give it time. (laughs) Yes, I'm in the final stages of writing something on animal metamorphoses in cinema. So hopefully that will hit the stands someday soon. But I am on Twitter at Sabina Petkova. And I publish across Little White Lies, Playlist, uh, recently Cineuropa. So reviews mostly there. Well, that about wraps us up for yet another edition of The Love of Cinema. Uh, Thank you so much to our guest critics, Savina Petkov and Helen O'Hara. Really great to have you on the show. March is going to be a great month for cinema, and whatever you end up watching, I hope you enjoy. As always, do let us know if you go to the movies. Uh, Tell us what you think of what you're watching. You can contact us at Picturehouses on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. As always, this show was produced by Kobe at Stripped Media. Thank you so much, Kobe, for all of your hard work going into recording this episode. And a big thank you to our fantastic editor, Maddie Searle. The show is proudly supported by Kia. And a big thank you for listening. We'll be back later in the month with a few bonus episodes. So please do subscribe to the pod feed if you like what you hear. Please leave us a rating. A five-star review never goes amiss, and it does help others find the show. That's a wrap on this show. Our next monthly review show will be in April, and I look forward to seeing you then.